0: Welcome to the Feral Minds Podcast. You are right where you need to be, and we are glad you're here. Come seek with us as we laugh at what we have known and find direction from what our curiosities demand we
1: learn. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to From Hole to Hole. You can check the spelling. It might take away a little bit of the connotation that could come from that name. How are you
0: filling your holes? That's the, que- that's the question here. And, and you and I have gone down some paths where we filled our holes with the external. I don't know that I'm not still on that path. I think I'm more conscious of that path. But we have a tendency to find and try to find patches for our holes from the external. And this is a study in how you finally discover that there's nothing from the outside that is going to fill the hole on the inside. And that's the journey that I think we're all on. And we slowly awaken to that. Uh, you just came back from a big trip. Multiple national parks?
1: Yeah. When I got to the hole, the, the, the W, the one you want to be at, I reached a level of freedom and enjoyment in my life that gave me the opportunity to go and visit whatever I wanted. And I discovered national parks. I don't know if I'd say I discovered them. They're obviously already there. A lot of people already knew a lot you more. You are thankful them.
0: that somebody discovered <laughs> national parks
1: so that you, you could come along and fill your hole. Yeah. Well, even with more, part of that journey, even more importantly than they discovered them, but that they they set them aside. You know, there's a, a beautiful national park documentary that we'll watch a lot of. It talks about them and they call this was America's best idea was the national parks. I, I think that they wonderfully encompass this idea of um, of sharing uh, of selflessness. One thing that they'll point to is that these are the most beautiful places on the planet. And we know that had they not been set aside
0: and preserved in the way they were, they would be owned by Six Flags of the United States. Yeah, yeah. There would be a roller coaster around Old Faithful. You could bungee jump off of any side of the Grand Canyon.
1: Imagine the zip line that they're moving all the way across the Grand Canyon. That kind of sounds interesting. (laughs) And and while that could be, I agree, the way it needs to be left was really the way nature intended it. That is how it needs to be enjoyed. It doesn't need to be selected by one person to be changed and then sold and produced out to the masses. So this idea that there's pieces of nature that need to be left untouched by man— In itself, is an interesting idea, especially when we think about when this came apart. I mean, this is back in the 1900s. It was manifest destiny. It was go get what's mine, take it, cut it down, burn it, use it how I want to. And in the middle of all that going on, someone said, hey, some of this stuff needs to be saved. And then the beauty of it came not only when they realized it needed to be saved, but that it needed to be shared. That's really what happens with the National Park idea. It, it, It was these are beautiful spaces that need to be enjoyed by all. No one person should be able to harness this and do what they want to with it. And And that was a new idea up
0: to that point. And that's important because when you visit a national park, uh, a state park, anytime you get out into nature, you realize the healing quality that nature has. You don't ever go out in the woods on a vacation or go to the lake and not feel better afterwards. Mm Nature is the ultimate healer. So it's important that we all have access to nature and that it is a destiny that we all share, and these are places of healing. And we may call it a vacation, and it may have National Lampoon's written all over it. We all got T-shirts. You came back with some special rocks. Somebody's (laughs) willing to buy something always in these travels, but the reality is there's a whole lot of healing that goes on when you're in the outdoors, and when you're looking at what the earth has created in these magnificent forms. It's very humbling when you see large displays of not only topography, but these special things like Old Faithful, at random guys are shooting up. We can all go sit, right? It reminds you that you are a much smaller piece of this microcosm, and that humbling nature, I think it makes us interact with each other in a much more tolerable manner.
1: Yeah, it, it just opens up a shared space. It's a, a place that everybody wants to be, and everybody can be there. These journeys that we are, these little little trips that we get to go on, the, the soul-enriching stuff we find at the parks, But none of that would have been possible, though, had I set out to do it all myself. <laughs> to, oh, I guess me in my 20s never would have made it to this point. That journey we're, we're looking at from selfish to selfless, man, you could almost just call that the journey from my 20s to my 40s, which I can't change any of it. I wouldn't go back and be a different person when I was there. But I would much rather be the person I am now having learned that lesson of selflessness along the way. You believe in that moment that your time and your focus
0: should be the, the career you're after. And you work through that to a certain point in time. You work a lot of hours. You feel good about working those hours. It feels like you're trying to be that good boy that you've always tried to be. And then it starts burning out sideways on And you start having 70, 80-hour weeks The kids don't see you. The kids might start resenting that a little bit. You don't
1: have a lot left by the time you end a 70-hour week. What is left of you to give to your family? Well, and that's it's perfect you bring up kids because I'd been there for a while with my big brown delivery company that I was at and done well in management. I thought it was on the perfect road in life. I've got a kid on the way. This is exactly where you want to be. And then when that kid came, It opens your eyes in new ways. And every person's got to go through that to realize the feeling of selflessness that can run over you after you've had a child that you realize is now your responsibility to take care of. One of the things I said when it happened was as soon as he's born, nothing else mattered. But all of a sudden, everything else now had meaning because now I've got this this precious new piece of life on this planet that that I get to take care of, that I'm here to, to support. And- that gets handed to you at a time when you have no idea what to do with that responsibility. That weight can smash down on you in strange ways. That would be, almost to an extent, a hole opening up within you.
0: Yeah, and and you're working your career in order to care for your child and care for your family. Mm -hmm. And it's confusing, it's very confusing when you are working those hours and making those sacrifices and leaving what's left to your family and trying to juggle that as the corporate demand pulls on you. And it pulls you, I would say, often it pulls you away from your family. Right, Well, there's that question, who's getting the best of you, who's getting the rest of you? Absolutely, and so as you balance that out, as you're in your 20s, and now you've got a kid, and now you've got a career, and now life is real, and you're no longer under the umbrella of mom and dad, And you're out there trying to figure it out on your own. And the way we tend to do this life, the generations that came before us, they kind of just let us figure it out on our own. I think that's what you did. And your story's interesting in that you've arrived at some journey where you believe in selflessness. Like that is a practice that you engage in where you have established your selfless practice. I myself... I struggle with selflessness. I'm a raging individualist. And even as my family has come along, I, I am not what I would say seasoned in the practice of selflessness. I'm still trying to learn that. I'm aware of it now. But my corporate time, I was completely blind to that. I'm out here grinding for y'all. Don't Don't dare ask me for more time. Do you understand the stress? Do you understand the amount of engagement with other individuals that I have to do in order for you to live in this house and drive this car and play softball and all these things that you do? So I looked at my corporate career and all the sacrifice that was involved. And I I had a career that involved a lot of travel. And so not only was I gone 40, 50, 60 hours a week, I was gone days at a time. I wrote a religion around that, that was, this is what is necessary to support my family. And so when you look back in hindsight and you go, man, there's so many ways to support your family. Oh, my goodness. There's so many ways to make money and find a way to be around your family that you can lose sight of that. And and when it's your career, there is this idea that if I don't keep walking on this upward trajectory, if I do anything to deviate, from this path that I'm on. You remember the yodeler on Price of Right? Yes. The yodel lady, and, he, and you watched <laughs> him go up until he fell off. And I feel like a lot of us will be on that corporate journey at some point in time if we're cognizant of it. Oh, yeah. We will get on that ladder, and we will run up it. And there will be things in life that come at us that, that we want to push to the side because we have a ladder that we're climbing. And there's only so much I can do when I'm climbing a ladder. And so a lot of my 20s and a lot of my, even in my 30s, I gave the corporation I work for a lot of hours that passed and that involved my children's childhood that I won't get back, that are gone now. When you look back with that perspective, you go, wow, who was that guy? And exactly what was he trying to achieve? Because the goal is not to starve your family of your compassion. The goal is to find a career where I can support my family, do something I enjoy, and then also have a X amount of time in a week where I can give them my undivided attention. Oh, and now you start
1: talking like that, people are going to say you're crazy. Society doesn't tell you that that's an easy thing to do. And it isn't. Because what I hear you doing right there is you're trying to fill a family-sized hole With a career-shaped peg. (laughs) And that's what you're talking about is exactly what I did from about the age of 20, well, about the time I got married, got my big career, to the time I got out of my favorite big career, was constantly trying to stuff that career hole into a family peg. Like, this big career is what I need to be the father to my family. And exactly what you were talking about was happening. My time wasn't being spent there. Your money, your energy, all that starts going to just putting up with what you're dealing with. What I'm saying is that what I dealt with when I kept trying to fit my career peg <laughs> into that family responsibility-sized hole I had, and when it wouldn't fit, I had to keep trying to put more stuff in there. Your distractions, the things uh, that try to just get you by the day. Things that just at the end of the day are what you have to latch on to to get through. Yeah. These can be any sort of distraction. My favorite one was alcohol. I know that there were a whole lot of days that... All I thought about was getting through this deal so that I could start drinking mm. just to put up with my day. And that drinking that I would do for that selfish need to get through what I was dealing with was also what was getting in the way of the family. I, there was a, You can't drink at work, right? And so now what time you have left
0: becomes deteriorated by alcohol. In, in fact, I think a, a lot of times alcohol can become a family member. And it becomes a family member that you're going to hang out with. And you can admit it or not, but it's a reality that Timmy's going to get X amount of time, Susie's going to get X amount of time, and alcohol's going to be there. And so when alcohol's there, it gets your attention in the same way your children do. But then over time, it deteriorates the quality of attention that your children receive. And so alcohol, all of a sudden, becomes this element that gets them best of you. Maybe not the best, it gets what's left. right? And so now not only are we fighting our hours at work, but now we're numbing ourselves with alcohol after work. So the the story that we author is we need that. We need that in order to be able to do this thing we do every day. Mm -hmm. And so now your children Mm -hmm. are on the other side of a 60, 70 hour work week. They're on the other side of X amount of beers you're throwing down and they get a now inebriated version of yourself, and, and that's the picture of their father.
1: Yeah. Right? It, yeah. I, I can't stress enough how trying to mix those distractions in with your family causes problems. I love the George Thoreau good lyric, when I drink alone, I prefer to be by myself. <laughs> and if you ever, like, how many of us guys are yeah. coming home and you're hanging out with your family, three, four, I mean, however, however many of you are around, and you're the only one getting drunk? Leave <laughs> like, me alone, I'm drinking. Leave <laughs> me alone. I, I'm over here focused on getting buzzed. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no one who is with alcohol yeah. and someone else. When you start drinking, that's who you're hanging out with. Yeah. Your drinking buddy isn't a buddy. Your drinking buddy's alcohol. No. That's all there is. But you're also, back to the
0: story, back to the, the title, you're trying to fill your hole with alcohol.
1: And that's the selfish endeavor on this. Regardless of how much selflessness that you think you're providing with these hardships you're putting yourself through, when I call it a hardship, I'm talking a big career peg. <laughs> yeah, And you're trying to take that peg and... Put it right in your family hole. The one right. that you don't get filled because you're too busy out there building your career peg. All with good intentions, though. Man, like that That's the one thing that I would
0: tell any 20- or 30-year-old. You haven't done anything wrong. We didn't do anything wrong. Your intent was not to be negligent to your kids or your wife. What happened was this career thing comes along. Mm-hmm. I play that game really hard. That involves a lot of stress. I don't really know how to outlet that stress. I don't know, but I know alcohol's around. I knew alcohol from college. I knew alcohol from high school. I knew alcohol from junior high. I know that alcohol can take that edge off of me, but the problem with alcohol is you take the edge off and you never can find the balance of where you need to be, so you keep chasing the edge. Well, I don't then, know,
1: that's not just problem with alcohol. That, that's all distractions. Okay. Because like, I don't want to hone it in on just what mine was. Right. I'm, I mean, it could be electronics. It could be eating. Oh, another one I love to dive into is overspending. Okay. And that is where the irony, <laughs> I thought, of how I was spending my big career peg. You're trying to get that money. That's what's going to give you the security yeah. that you think you want to hand over to your family. Also another hole you That's, you're that's, that's to the fill. loop you think you're providing. Yeah. You go work all my time. It's going to give me the money for the yeah. security for my family. And even once you get past that... You start dealing with distractions. So maybe you've realized that. Maybe you're sitting there and you know that this job's getting in the way, but there's this limiting feeling that there's no other choice. Look what at I what do? society's told. Yeah. me. I was sitting there with this, like I'm telling you, 15 years, beautiful management career, large corporation everybody's heard of, loves to have them come around. You start telling people that that's where you're at in life with a five-year-old son and you're unhappy? You think there needs to be more? You feel like there's more fulfillment in life than just showing up and working 50 to 70 hours a week and then giving the what's left of you when you get home to your family, if you even have any of that left? Because oftentimes you're trying to drown out through some distraction the way you've just spent your time away from them. Yeah. And so then when you're with them, you're not even there. I swam in that for a long time. I had no idea <laughs> how I was going to get out of it. I had 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 selfishly built that life around me, and those selfish pursuits had led me into a completely unfulfilling, unhappy place. To me, that was you stayed there
0: for a while. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. You
0: stayed there for a while, and you may know you're in this place, and you may still stay there for a while. People will tell you that's where you're supposed to be. It's two different things, though. So for me, it's the reality of okay. If you would have told yourself at 18, hey, I'd love to have a good management job with a kid living in an area that I'd love to live in, and if you would have said, hey, would you like that as an 18, 17-year-old? Yeah, you say, yes, absolutely. The reality of the postcard and then the other reality of all those internalized thoughts, feelings, and emotions that are involved in the day-to-day of that pursuit and how you tame that day. And how you tame that day may be a cheeseburger at the end of the day. It could be falling into your phone for hours. It could be alcohol. It could be any number of things that you are pursuing to fill that hole. And as you do that, as you are focused on me, because that's a me pursuit, Alcohol is a me-pursuit. Overeating is a me-pursuit. Those are every, every me. Every me-pursuit leads to addiction. If it's, you call it's, it hard enough. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and somebody on the other end of that addiction, whether or not you've labeled it addiction or not, you need to be candid with yourself about what exactly it is you're doing with these things you have in your life that you're giving your time. You can call it addiction. You can call it a distraction. We're all talking about the same thing. It takes away from the other people on the other side of that object that also wants your time. And, and they're trying to get your time away from your desires. And your desire might be alcohol. It might be food. Uh, you, you know, it could be maybe you're fixated on working out and you spend the only available three hours you've got after work, you spend an hour and a half at the gym. They get what's left over. Mm-hmm. Th- those are all realities. This doesn't have to be just an alcohol story. I think alcohol is a what? great lane to run in. Because we all have to deal with alcohol. Alcohol is literally, it's that fishing net we all have to get through. And some of us glide right through it. For some of us, it's no problem at all. And for some of us, we're a six-month-old dolphin. And we get caught in the tuna net. And we swirl around and swirl around. And some people never leave that net. And I look at my kids and I wonder, is there a tendency in one of these children that will eventually lead them to that net? Will they get caught in that net? What am I supposed to be doing as a parent to prepare them for the filter that they're going to have to pass through? In this life, in this world that we live in, you can't get through that
1: turnstile without touching alcohol. It's going to happen at some point in time. Well, and it's not just alcohol. It's like you said, these distractions are all over. You're not going to get through without putting an electronic in your hand, staring at a screen. I was addicted to alcohol. 15 years, I would say. Since my fourth DUI and the time I finally said, oh, yeah, I'm going to stop doing this.
0: (laughs) And you think you were born to be addicted to alcohol or you were born to be addicted to something
1: and alcohol just checked the boxes? Yes. Honestly, to, to both of them. I do believe that alcohol addiction is genetic. It just... Gets treated and processed differently when it gets into some people's bodies than it does others. Um, it's just it's it's sugar. It's the way people break down the sugar, or the carbohydrates, and then the effect that has on the body and the brain afterwards. And someone gets addicted who who has that genetic predisposition to alcohol. I highly recommend none. But if you're somebody who doesn't have none, that, none, none, what, no what alcohol. You? If you know that you predisposition genetically, that I would recommend never drinking alcohol, that's the state I was in. And that is how I knew what I was addicted to. It was the one thing that was getting in the way of me enjoying everything else in life. So there's a lot of pursuits and enjoyments that I take into account that don't get in the way. Having a bite of chocolate cake is a little bit of like, it's a distraction, it's a pleasure, it's something that you're reaching outside for, for satisfaction. That's just an example from the food realm. And I I believe that these vacations from the norm, which I guess is appropriate. We started off talking about with that. I consider those dives into pleasure, like just a little vacation, a little little bit of soul food. You kind of need that. And that's where, you know, we're talking self-ish to selfless. I want to make sure we understand it's not like this end of the spectrum. No, no, no. This end, yes. There are places to be along the spectrum of selfish to selfless, that's where you'll need to find where you want to be. Now, addiction gets completely in the way of that. All of a sudden, you only focus on the self when you're addicted to something. Like I said, it doesn't have to be alcohol. It could be food. It's it's a thirst you have to
0: quench, right? Whatever it is, you know what it is. Mm -hmm. You you know what it is. If it's removed from your life, if the thought of removing it from your life— makes you nervous or anxious, mm-hmm. then there's a high probability that you have some unhealthy behavior, maybe
1: addiction with whatever that element is, whatever it is. And and, and uh, it's kind of funny in the AA class, one of the ones I'd taken, uh, I, I hope this hits well with, with addiction because with all the people in that room, alcoholics, I mean, it, we knew exactly what the guy was saying, And it, it's this a quote was something like, man, I, I, I wish I wasn't an alcoholic. Then I would be able to stop and I could drink all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll spin
0: you right around.
1: I, I I will forever love that. You know, as an alcoholic, what that statement yeah. means, and that's just where y- it got me to understand. Oh crap! Like this is just the one thing. Yeah, cut that
0: out. So you recovered from this. So let's let's circle back to your story. So yeah, you we'll still- you struggled with alcohol. You maintained a work life. Like you you still had it, even with that struggle within. You still we're doing fine at your job,
1: right? Was I what I could have been? Was I? Well, obviously not, because as I said, forward. I got 15 years into it, and I was blaming the job for my lack of happiness with purpose in life. Okay. And who knows? Maybe maybe that is the truth. But more importantly, what might have led to it is the choices I made on how to deal with the fact that I wasn't happy with the job and instead of just making the change I needed to. Or looking at myself and seeing, like, the job, the change might not have been the job. It might have been the need I needed. But it didn't matter at the time. There was stuff I had to go through. I had blinders on in the right places. I had vision on in the other places that were going to lead me to make the choices I needed to. And the most important choice I made, I didn't realize necessarily as it was happening, the beauty that it was going to impact in my life. But that career that I was unhappy with got to a point where I, had to, I, I needed to make a decision, dive in or get out. I'd started kind of getting a transfer. I'd already been about a year working an hour and 15-minute commute away. I was running one of the centers here. And my wife has a career in Oklahoma City that's based on staying here. So As you've, a real estate you've already agent. made a one well, career somewhat, had to go. somewhat selfish commitment.
0: Was that a selfish choice to, to commute an hour and 15 minutes one way?
1: Was that selfish? Selfish in the fact that I decided I'm here to give all of me to this to this company, yeah. and now this company said, "Hey, you go out there." Yeah, and so at that point, you, you can't tell them no. You, you can't, know what, it's like? You, well, can't you tell get blackballed them no. a little bit. Right, listen, here's you, what I wanted to say though: It's like I already knew that I was getting to a point I wasn't happy with my career, but when you're in that spot and everybody's telling you you got to stay there, you're almost petrified. By indecision, and you just keep showing up. And 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 you're just almost in this ineffective daze when you get there. And you also think if you're on
0: a project or an assignment that's not ideal, you think, I'll wait it out. I'll wait it out, and there'll be something on the other side. But it also, you don't want to disrespect how many years you had at this organization that you're very proud of to get you to that point. And I think that's a fear that a lot of people have in the corporate world is eventually they're gonna ask me to do something I don't want to do. It might be moved to Seattle, it might be manage a department that has I have no interest in. And, and so I go to Seattle, my us there in West Texas. Yeah. The challenge can be there that I've I've allocated X amount of my time, my struggle, my career. It is me. And now they want me to go do something that I don't know that I want to do.
1: And oh, now I knew I, I didn't want to. Answer this. Right? I knew I didn't want to, and I went into it giving very little of myself. You know, we talk about that: who's getting the best of you, who's getting the rest of you. And I'll tell you right now: if somebody's not getting the best of you, then you're not living. You want to wake up every day with the opportunity to give somebody your best. Yes. And I couldn't find that with a corporation. I've tried, and actually, it did work for a while, man. I'm telling you, my early twenties. Yeah, but you're young enough. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Well, you that, don't know yet. Yeah. You don't know yet. You're just
0: oh. you're running into the adventure of something new. Mm-hmm. You're running into the esteem, the prestige that you get whenever you tell somebody you work for an organization that everybody knows. Oh God. Yeah. They, you they tell a manager you, here. Yeah. They look at you like, mm-hmm. oh wow. Yeah, you've you got, got an identity. Gate. Mm-hmm. How did you get through that gate? I can't even imagine people hold jobs at big organizations because you've got to be super special to be in there. And so all that uh, prestige rolls into your head, and it becomes like, okay, that's part of my identity. And if I if I leave them, I'm now something lesser than when I started. And then i got to explain to everybody that why I left peg. that great big organization. That big, why would you do it?
1: that big peg of a career (laughs) that that I'd been carrying around and was so proud I built. And I still, to this day, I'll tell you something, anybody asked me about it, I was like, I'm extremely glad I worked there for 15 years, but not as glad that I am that I don't still work there (laughs) because I had that big peg of this career Mm -hmm. and all these holes in my life that had been created as a result of me focusing on that peg. And every time I try to take that peg and put it in my hole of connection, (laughs) it wouldn't fit. My hole of family, my hole of purpose in this world, my hole in how do I want to spend my time? And
0: you've kind of established yourself at this point as I'm a manager of people. And (sighs) and so you get locked into, all right, my resume says I did this for X amount of time. And so therefore, I'm only qualified to go do this or I will be most attractive at doing this for another organization. So, And you already knew you didn't like doing it. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> you, you're thinking, well, you're thinking I can run from this. I, I didn't like living in West Texas. I like Seattle, right? It, it's not really the fact that I'm pressed between an organizational goal and a labor force that doesn't always see the same goals that, that maybe you're getting compensated on. There's a lot that goes on between... All right, this one didn't work out, but it, you weren't unsuccessful. 15 years, I mean, two months, you're unsuccessful. 15 years of consistently showing up, and even with all of your baggage, right, even the days you showed up when you were hungover, all those things still amounted to a 15-year career. That, that is not something that is easily accomplished. For us to do anything consistently is one of the most challenging things for humans to do. And so you did master that. With all the battle axe, scar, wounds that came along with it for you and your family, mm. you still have that accomplishment. And I feel that as well. My time, it was similar in a, in a corporate organization. It was about 15 years. And I did that with no idea towards the end that I had alternatives, that you can get so myopic on what you're doing in a belief that there's just nothing else that I'm capable of doing. I'm only now qualified. I went from unqualified to qualified. Now I'm making qualified money. And now I have a lifestyle that's based on qualified money. So I've lost my ability to go become a starving harvest over here. I have obligations that I have to meet now. And so that tethers me to that job and also keeps me in that lane,
1: sometimes far longer than I'm... Ever intended to be in that lane. Well, you, you, we see the similarities there in our career. Fifteen years, wanted the change, made the move. The difference was, you stayed successful. <laughs> you, you never hit a bottom. <laughs> in theory. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I hit a bottom after I left there. I, I walked out of that parking lot. Feeling on cloud nine. Yeah. You know, I walked out with the security guy that I had hired. <laughs> I trained the guy that walked me out. <sighs> I great. taught you I promoted him. It's like he was That's you know, great. it was, it was. And you know, like we're walking, he's, and he's like feeling sorry for him. No man, like I've been wanting this so bad. I cannot believe how it came down. I had a little pride to swallow yeah. because but went all on my own terms. I, like I said, I went out there. Well, I was showing up for work every day. I was bringing as little as possible. I was unhealthy, just waiting yeah. for the damn situation to fall apart. And then when it did, as weird as it sounds, man, getting walked out to the guard shack that day, it was invigorating. It it felt like I I had been freed. Well, that you, didn't you last had, long. You
0: had a slow motion execution going oh, on. Yeah, and you were at the switch. Yeah, and you couldn't quite get yourself to throw the switch all the way down. Mm-hmm. So
1: you just kind of ran the boat in the ground, right? Kind of. Well. I don't want to go into all the details of the story stuff. But they came in, and they were interviewing us. And like I said, that the guy that, that walked me out, he was in Lost Revenge, over the security team. And, you know, like I said, I, we had a relationship. I'd hired yep. a guy, from over helped him in his career. And he's asking me questions about what had gone on. I'm giving him answers. <laughs> he goes, like, look you don't have to lay on the sword here. <laughs> and I going to look at him and say, like, yes, I do. This is what I want. Execute my career now, please. I just can't do yeah. it. So they did. They came Somebody along and they executed. for me.
0: Yeah. And we, we've talked about this in the, in the past, this idea of, of pitching down and believing that I had a role in an organization that I didn't want to be in. I gave it effort until I didn't. Mm-hmm. And then... I just kind of started letting things go, right? I knew I wasn't being the best version of myself. My focus would wane. I would see conflict that I would just choose to avoid, and conflict that that really I was tasked with managing, right? Conflict within my business unit. And I started pitching my rudder down. Mm -hmm. And in some twisted reality, I thought, if I give this corporation that I've now disenfranchised with, if I give them less of me... I'm somehow winning. But in reality, as I give less of me, they lose a little bit. But it's my existence as a whole that I have now chosen to drag down. Yes. And all the negativity that comes with that and all those feelings of not chasing success and, and neglecting stuff that you know is a part of the reason why you're hired. You know it's a part of your responsibility. When, if you're neglecting those things, if, if you're running your ship into the ground, the only person that's losing is you. That mm-hmm. corporation will recover. By the time you finally hit rock bottom in whatever mess it might be, they'll already have a successor in mind. Anytime in an organization when you are failing or there's a sense that you're not exerting what you need to in order to occupy that position in a way that they see fit, they're planning behind you. There's somebody talking about you, and you know it. And that also becomes part of this layer of boy, this is really unenjoyable, and yet for whatever reason, I don't have the courage to end it, and so I waller
1: in it, and and, and then, then you t- distract from it. You find some sort of thing that helps you. You get real self-absorbed. Yeah, you're you're going to numb this because you're not living to fulfill your passion anymore. You're living. So you retract. You withdraw inside yourself. Yeah. You stop trying to give. Just like you said, you show up to work every day. and You want to give as little as possible. Here you go. I'm gonna show them. Watch this. I'm gonna be lazy today. Yeah. Here, watch me do nothing, and you pay me. Yeah. Do you think that's an existence that's going to lead to happiness? I think. Do you, you think can, that's going to get you anywhere in that selfishness? I, I think you can be there for a while, and I think you can be
0: confused about it. You can spend your whole life doing it. We see think, them
1: do it at the place we were at. Yeah. I, I
0: mean, <laughs> it, it can happen. But eventually, you're going to wake up to it. And eventually, you're going to realize, man, years have gone by here, and I'm not the person that I once was. And part of that is me not trying into an area that that just doesn't either deserve my attention or just naturally doesn't get my interest. And so if if I'm not trying, if I'm just kind of toeing the line, the only loser is me. The thoughts really piled up this episode. Join us next time. We will continue the discussion. We would like to thank you for listening to the Feral Minds podcast. Hopefully, we triggered some curiosity that will have you seeking more. Remember, your mind is meant to run. Slap some sneakers on that bad boy and take it around the block. If you'd like to connect with us or enlist our feral thoughts on a problem in your life, visit us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube or at theferrominds.com. Also remember, our thought line is always available. 24-7, we don't even allow it to sleep. And we want to hear from you. That number is 866-340-3394. Again, that number is 866-340-3394. We look forward to hearing from you.